Do you find yourself searching for true crime podcasts that are different from what you're always recommended? Do you want to make a real difference in the cases that you're following? Well, you're a crime junkie. And I'm Ashley Flowers the creator and host of the number one true crime podcast, Crime Junkie. There are hundreds of episodes already available, and each Monday we dive into the details of cases spanning from some of the most infamous to those that you have never heard covered before. Listen to Crime Junkie podcast now, wherever you're listening. Love is more than a day on the calendar or a sign-off on a letter. Love starts with you. Show off your personal style with new Pandora jewelry pieces that radiate with your love from every angle. With Pandora's vast selection of rings, bracelets, earrings, necklaces, and charms, there's endless ways to show what's in your heart. Write a love note to yourself or your best friend with handwritten charms or a personal engraving. Shop now at Pandora.net. Pandora. Be love. There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need. No matter where you are in life, when you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Our card this week is Natasha Warren, the Four of Hearts from South Carolina. In 2008, Natasha was a young mother of two who was working two jobs to provide for her family. When one night, on a dark stretch of road, a stranger came across her path and forever changed her life. That person has gone unnamed and unknown for 14 years. And now, law enforcement is opening up, hoping justice can finally be served. I'm Ashley Flowers, and this is The Deck. On Sunday, August 24, 2008, in Columbia, South Carolina, Adrienne Warren was on her way to help a friend move. Her friend had worn out her welcome at her sister's apartment in Columbia, so Adrienne volunteered to help the woman until she could find her own place. Now, Adrienne was pretty sure that her friend could stay with her sister, Natasha, for a while because Natasha had a three-bedroom apartment nearby, and she worked so much that she was hardly ever there. But Adrian hadn't actually gotten around to asking Natasha if that plan would be okay because she hadn't seen her sister for a week. Now, Natasha did have two small kids, two boys just two and three years old. But Adrian and Natasha's mom often watched the kids because Natasha had been working two jobs and finishing up college, and their dads weren't really around. It's about 10 a.m. when Adrian was driving on the highway to her friend's house thinking about all of that when she noticed a car parked on the side of Interstate 26. And that car looked a lot like Natasha's car. She wondered for a minute if it was her sister's, because where it was located was only a few miles from where Natasha lived. Adrian wasn't able to stop or turn around to check because it was a busy morning and she was due at her friend's place to help her start packing. And honestly, the glimpse of the familiar car didn't cross Adrian's mind after that. When Adrian finished helping her friend pack, she drove over to Natasha's apartment to arrange for her friend's stay and run the plan by Natasha. But Natasha wasn't home. 
Again, that wasn't all that unusual since Adrian knew Natasha worked a lot and was never really at her apartment for very long. At the time, Natasha didn't have a working cell phone, so Adrian couldn't call or text her to see where she was or relay a message about Adrian's friend wanting to crash at her place. But Adrian did have a working number for Natasha's fiance, Michael, though. So she called him and he told her that he hadn't heard from Natasha since Friday night, almost two days earlier, when she called from a payphone and left a voicemail saying she'd gotten a flat tire on her way to work the night shift at the post office. Like I said earlier, Natasha had two jobs. One was at the Columbia Postal Mail Processing and Distribution Center, and one was as a patient care assistant at Providence Hospital. After hanging up with Natasha's fiancé and learning that her sister had car trouble, Adrian thought about the car that she had seen on the side of the interstate. Now, she was sure that that familiar-looking car must have been her sister's after all. It would make sense why it was pulled over. And not only that, where it was parked would have been on the way to the postal processing center where Natasha worked. While Adrian is connecting the dots in her head and talking with Natasha's fiancé, a South Carolina state trooper had stopped to check on the car. He didn't do this because any of Natasha's family had asked him to. He was just making his normal patrol rounds. He saw the car pulled over in a really busy area on the highway right near an exit for Bush River Road. He could tell right away that the car had a flat tire, so he pulled behind it to see if the driver needed help. From where he parked his cruiser, he couldn't see anyone inside. It didn't look like anyone was in the driver's seat, and he figured whoever had broken down probably walked off to get help or had been picked up. So he thought he might need to report the car as an abandoned vehicle. But as he got closer to the driver's side window, he saw something alarming. A woman's lifeless body propped in the driver's seat, covered in blood. The trooper immediately radioed for the Richland County Sheriff's Department to respond. And within minutes, deputies arrived along with the county coroner. Now, the timing of the trooper's discovery is wild because by the time Adrian got off the phone with Natasha's fiance, figured out it was likely her sister's car that she spotted earlier on the highway and then drove back to check it out, the roadway had turned into a crime scene. When Adrian pulled over near the Bush River Road exit, all she could see were cop cars and yellow crime scene tape around her sister's car. A deputy told her to stay back because they'd found a deceased female in the vehicle. Adrian spoke with our reporter Emily for this episode, but she didn't want to be recorded. She said that in that moment, talking with the deputy and seeing all the chaos unfolding around Natasha's car, she couldn't even think straight. She remembers the investigators asking her why she was there and her telling them that she thought the car belonged to her sister. She said one deputy asked her if Natasha had any tattoos to try and help them determine if the woman in the vehicle was in fact Natasha. They needed some concrete form of identification from someone who knew Natasha because at the time, investigators had not found Natasha's driver's license in the car or any form of ID that could help them identify the dead woman. And so they specifically asked Adrian about any tattoos because they didn't want to walk her over to see the body in case it was her sister. At that point, the coroner had looked over the body and determined that based on her stage of decomposition from the August heat, She'd likely been in the car and dead for at least a day, if not two. So she wasn't in a physical state that police felt would be good for Adrian to see. So Adrian told police about a tattoo Natasha had on her back. And that is how they were able to confirm that it was, in fact, her sister. Adrian was horrified by the news and quickly left the highway scene in a state of panic. She went back to Natasha's apartment, and by that point, there were cops everywhere. 
But not just cops. Upstairs, Adrian ran into Natasha's fiancé, Michael, and his brother looking around. Adrian says that she was surprised to see the two of them there, so she asked what he was doing. And he said that he came over to look for any clues or evidence. Adrian knew that he lived a town over and actually would have had to pass right by the crime scene to get to Natasha's apartment. She told Emily that she immediately felt it was odd that he wouldn't have stopped at Natasha's car first to speak with police or do any of the stuff that she had just done with the cops on the side of the highway. Adrian pressed him about why he hadn't mentioned anything to anyone about not seeing or hearing from Natasha for two days. She also asked him why he'd not followed up with Natasha after he got her voicemail Friday night about being stranded with a flat tire. His response, according to Adrian, was that he hadn't seen the voicemail until hours after Natasha left it. And so he figured that Natasha had probably called one of her cousins or a friend to help her. This response didn't really sit right with Adrian. And Richland County investigators also felt that something about Michael's answers were odd. At the time, Natasha and her fiancé didn't live together. And because of their busy schedules, mostly Natasha's, they didn't see each other every day. But investigators wondered what couple goes days without speaking, especially when one of them knows the other is without a working car or having car issues. Here's Richland County cold case investigator Dottie Cronice discussing this very point with our investigator. Do you find it odd that like her boss or a family member didn't call her in missing? It's hard to say because she lived close enough. I mean, she was just off of her St. Andrews Road exit that the family may have thought that she got a ride back to her apartment or that she got a ride to work. And the boss may have thought, well, she's having car difficulties. She can't get the tire changed. So she's just, you know, she just didn't show today. I can't really say what they thought. Those are simply speculations on my part as to, as to what might have been reasonable she lived here in Columbia. She didn't live with family members who were out of county. Dottie sat down with us to go over what investigators were working off of at the start of the investigation. By midday on Sunday, hours after finding Natasha, detectives launched a full-blown murder investigation. They labeled it a homicide because it was determined on scene that Natasha had been shot in the chest and no weapon was found near her or in her car. So it wasn't possible that she'd chosen to take her own life. Someone else had definitely killed her. Natasha's remains were taken for an autopsy, where the coroner officially ruled her death a homicide by gunshot. A closer forensic examination of Natasha's body further ruled out any kind of suicide theory, because the wound in her upper chest had entered at an angle that police said would have been virtually impossible for anyone to make if they had a gun pointing towards themselves, holding it with both hands or even one hand. What happened was... Most definitely not accidental. Detectives towed her car to the sheriff's department and combed it for more evidence. As police were gathering evidence and lining up interviews with possible witnesses and family members, Adrian, her mom, and Natasha's other family members were reeling with grief and trying to figure out how to explain to Natasha's two sons what was going on and why their mother would never be coming home. She's 23, has two young children. I believe one was two years old and the other little boy is four, and they are now left with some very hard explanations for the adults to try to give them. Natasha's fiancé, Michael, was not the father of her two kids. The boys had different dads from Natasha's previous relationships. 
But the fathers of Natasha's two sons were ruled out really early on because Richland County determined that they had alibis and weren't even in the area at the time Natasha was believed to have been killed, which police were pretty certain was late Friday night or possibly early Saturday morning based on the state her body was in when they had found her. Michael also had a fairly solid alibi for that Friday night. He told police that he was at work late on Friday at a Food Lion grocery store plant. He said he worked his regular 7 p.m. to 1 a.m. shift. Detectives confirmed his story after interviewing his co-workers, and they all vouched that he was at work late Friday night and didn't get off until early Saturday morning. Records from his cell phone show that it was turned on, but inside his car in the plant's parking lot because he was working in the freezer rooms on Friday night. So that fact supported his claim that he had not received Natasha's call for help about the flat tire until he got off work Saturday morning and checked his phone. Which all of that makes me wonder why Natasha even called her fiancé from the payphone of the gas station in the first place, if she knew that he was at work and wouldn't answer. The best thing I can think is that maybe she thought he would take a break, see the voicemail, and decide to come help her and change her tire. Or maybe she assumed he wouldn't be working in the freezer section that night. He didn't always work in that part of the facility. Police say that they don't know the answer to these questions either. Back in 2008, the main lead they chose to follow was looking further into Natasha's relationship with Michael. Detectives wanted to figure out if there was something they were missing, something that could be a red flag. And it turns out, there was. Texas Pete is the sauce that allows you to sauce like you mean it. It's what people gather around. It's generosity in its simplest form. And it's a swagger people have who know what's good. Each Texas Pete sauce is packed with bold, balanced flavor. The signature tanginess is what makes it a legendary hot sauce that can be used on just about anything. It has been at the center of dinner tables since 1929 and is still heating things up today. You're definitely going to want to try every flavor. The original hot sauce has a famous secret blend of fermented peppers. The hotter hot sauce is three times hotter than the original and not for the faint of heart. Sabor by Texas Pete adds authentic Mexican flavor, and their dust-dry seasoning matches the flavor of the original hot sauce in a flavorful dry rub. I actually put that dry rub on my chicken last week and loved it. Texas Pete, sauce like you mean it. Visit texaspeat.com and use the store locator to find Texas Pete products as well as purchase sauces and get recipe inspiration. And use promo code DECK24 for 20% off at texaspeat.com. When it comes to travel, we all have that happy place that we're always dreaming about. Whether it's the snow-capped mountains, white sand beaches, a best friend's wedding, or even a hometown visit, we all have one. I mean, you're probably thinking of yours right now. Wherever your happy place is, Priceline wants to get you there for a happy price so you never have to miss a trip. And listen, as a mom, as a CEO, it's not easy for me to get away, or at least not far away. But ever since I was in college, I have been the queen of staycations. And hand to Bible, Priceline was my jam. I had it dialed in. I'd get four-star hotels for like 50 bucks a night and treat myself after a long work week and college classes. Every Vegas trip I ever took in my 20s was through Priceline. I couldn't even believe anyone ever booked anything another way. And Priceline is more than just hotels. Priceline lets you book your entire trip all in one place. So download the Priceline app today to save up to 60% off select hotels and go to your happy price with Priceline. 
According to Natasha's sister, Adrian, Natasha and her fiance planned to get married in late September of 2008, just one month after she was killed. It's a small detail, but one that stuck out to law enforcement, especially because when Natasha was found in her car, she wasn't wearing her engagement ring. Police initially thought that was odd, but when they talked with her family and friends, they learned that it wasn't all that uncommon for Natasha to leave her ring behind at home when she went to her jobs, and they did find her ring back at her apartment. So her not wearing it wasn't a huge red flag, but what was was a conversation Adrian told police she'd had with her sister not long before she had died, and it was regarding her upcoming wedding. In July, so just a few weeks before she was killed, Natasha and Adrian went wedding dress shopping. Adrian said that while she was helping Natasha pick out a wedding dress, she noticed that Natasha didn't seem very excited about getting married. She said there was no sense of joy in her sister's mood, and it felt like Natasha was maybe even a little bit sad. Adrian, who's seven years older than Natasha, said it got to the point where she told her baby sister that if she didn't want to get married and didn't feel like this decision was the right one, that she didn't have to go through with the wedding if she didn't want to. She said she told Natasha right there in one of the dress boutiques that she should consider either a longer engagement or a breakup with Michael if the wedding wasn't what she wanted. Natasha and Michael had only known one another for about a year before they got engaged. Adrian told our reporter that throughout most of his and Natasha's relationship, she'd always been a little bit skeptical of him. She said the way Natasha and Michael met was kind of a whirlwind and atypical. She said that one night after working a long shift and attending college classes, Natasha had dozed off at the wheel and actually crashed her car. A guy showed up and offered to help her, and less than a year later, he'd proposed and the two were engaged. But here's where things get even more interesting. Adrian said that about a week before the murder, which would have been the last time she saw her sister alive, the whole family was at their grandparents' house for a Sunday dinner. Natasha and Michael were there, but Natasha barely said anything. Adrian found out that the reason there seemed to be so much tension was because Natasha had recently tried to break things off, but her fiancé wanted to work it out. Adrian said that she remembered going out to their car as they were leaving dinner, and Natasha had a look in her eyes that told Adrian she was unhappy. And Michael just looked at Adrian and said that he and Natasha were going to work everything out. Adrian says that she took that comment as less of a reassuring gesture and more of a way of him saying, mind your own business. To this day, that interaction and the dress shopping conversation breaks Adrian's heart to think about because she feels guilty for trying to help her little sister get out of a bad relationship, but not being able to actually do anything to really help her. After learning all of this information from Adrian, the police investigating Natasha's death at the time had no doubt that the couple's relationship was rocky and not in the best place. But again, Michael's alibi checked out, and when asked directly by police in an interview if he had anything to do with Natasha's death, Michael said no. He didn't even own a gun. Investigators had nothing to go on to say that he was involved in any way. So they had to move on. They began reevaluating everything they'd learned and tried to piece together the moments leading up to Natasha's murder. And here's what they determined. Natasha was driving to her job at the post office at 10.30 p.m. on Friday, August 22nd. While she was nearing the Brush River Road exit, she likely realized something was wrong with one of her tires and pulled over. She got out and saw the flat tire, and because she didn't have a cell phone, she walked down the exit ramp to a nearby Sonico gas station to use the phone. 
Here's Dottie again to explain who Natasha called and what police believe happened next. She goes into Sunoco. She calls a family member, and she called her boss, one to get help, and the other to let him know that she was going to be late. And then she goes back to the car, and I believe she goes back into the Sunoco station three more times, and one time she actually goes in and uses the restroom, and then goes back to the vehicle. For whatever reason, as we well know, she uh, was killed and left there on the side of the road in her vehicle. According to Dottie, the female gas station attendant working in the store that night was never a suspect. She cooperated with police and told them exactly what she remembered from that night, including all the times Natasha came and went from the store to her car and back. They had spoken with her. You know, they tried to get her to let, you know, use use our phone, don't use a payphone. No, I'm going to use a payphone. You know, she was, she was independent. I'm going to use the payphone. She got her quarters from the register and used the payphone and made the phone calls that she needed to make. And it's just a a sad set of circumstances, Um, perhaps even a perfect storm that you're a single female and you're stuck there on the side of the road and nowhere to go. And you can speculate all day long, well, why didn't she just stay at the Sunoco station? Any number of things, but but she didn't. She walked back to her car. As, as, As far as we know, that's what she did. And the most tragic thing that could happen did. Based on surveillance video, the interview with the gas station employee, and the logs from the payphone, detectives think Natasha was alive and going back and forth between her car and the gas station for at least an hour. So that would mean she likely was alive up until close to midnight. The last phone call she made was around 1130, 1120 that night on the 22nd. She's not discovered until 1130 Sunday morning. So we're 36 hours from basically the last phone call until her body is discovered there on the side of the road in her vehicle. So to recap, the calls to her fiancé and to her boss were the only calls police know of that Natasha made that night. So either Natasha decided to wait for Michael to get her voicemail and come help, or she ran out of change to call more friends or more family for help. Now, the crime junkie in me has to wonder why the boss didn't think it was weird when Natasha never showed up for work. But according to police, her boss has never been considered a suspect, and they don't know why he didn't report her overdue when she didn't show up. But like Dottie said, maybe her boss figured Natasha couldn't resolve the car issue and just was a no-show for her shift. Detectives didn't have too much time to focus on why Natasha's boss didn't do what would have been helpful, because as investigators dug for more information about who else was at the gas station Friday night, detectives saw a lone man on surveillance video waltzing into the service station at the exact time they knew Natasha was there. In a press release that followed the discovery of this man on the store's videotapes, authorities were careful not to refer to him as a suspect. They called him a person of interest, basically just someone they wanted to talk to in case he was a witness to anything that could help lead the investigation in a helpful direction. He was there in the store, I believe, with her at the time and came from the same area where she was walking from in the parking lot and thought that he may have seen somebody near the car. I believe he came in, gave a statement. Police have never released what information the man gave in his statement, but it was helpful. They gleaned some new info from him that they hoped would come in handy someday. But as far as what exactly he told them, 
Authorities still won't say, but they will say this. As far as I know, he was not involved. The next person they see on the store surveillance video takes investigators by surprise. Another man crossed paths with Natasha that night, but this guy was wearing a police uniform. During one of Natasha's trips back into the gas station, as she was waiting in line for change to use the payphone, she's seen standing behind a uniformed police officer. On the video, you don't see Natasha and this officer have any interaction or conversation, and detectives trying to solve her murder wonder why she didn't ask the officer for help if she was having car troubles. In hindsight, police were thinking he could have changed her tire for her, and she would have been well on her way to work before her killer had the chance to attack. But detectives probably didn't take into consideration that as a young Black woman, Natasha might not have felt comfortable asking a police officer for help. As it turns out, the officer actually worked for the Richland County Sheriff's Department, the very agency who would end up investigating her murder. Detectives followed up with him, and unfortunately, he didn't remember seeing or hearing anything suspicious in that area while he was in front of Natasha in line. He didn't even see Natasha's car because he didn't take that highway exit ramp to get to the gas station. He'd actually approached the store from a different direction on Bush River Road. Natasha's family told investigators that it didn't surprise them Natasha had not asked the cop for help. She was fiercely independent, and Adrian said that she did everything on her own. It's safe to assume that if she had known how to change a tire, she would have done that before calling for help or asking a police officer to help her. She also never called 911 from the payphone. She only called Michael and her boss. Adrian wasn't surprised at all to learn that Natasha had likely waited in her car for help rather than hanging around the gas station. She said her sister maintained such a busy lifestyle that she would sometimes take power naps in her driver's seat in between obligations. According to everyone who knew her, Natasha wasn't afraid of being alone. And she also didn't have any enemies to be afraid of. She, um, from all accounts, a good student, attentive mother, good sister, daughter, not causing anybody any aggravations or problems, trying to get her education, working two jobs to do the things that she really wanted to do and accomplish and to have a better life for her children. You go back and you wonder, you know, why do good, why do good people have bad things happen to them? And this is one of those instances. And it's it's so hard for the family to understand what would make someone want to do this. Figuring out the motive behind the crime was authorities' biggest challenge. Answering the hard questions that Dottie just asked were constantly on detectives' minds in 2008. Fortunately, authorities caught a small break about a week after the crime. Some information came in that completely changed who authorities thought could be responsible for such a brutal murder. Busy parents have enough on their plates without adding your children's homework to the list as well. IXL is an excellent resource for homework help, which is especially nice for parents who are rusty on school info themselves. And methods have changed over the years, too. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. It's designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way with positive feedback. And you get one site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. There's a reason why IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Backed by research, kids using IXL are scoring higher on tests. From studies done in almost every state in the country, the kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. If your child is struggling, this is the smartest investment you can make. A month of IXL costs less than an hour of tutoring, so now you could get your child the help they need at an affordable price. 
Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And the DEC listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash DEC. Visit IXL.com slash DEC to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. I can remember sitting in my high school Spanish class looking down at the ground just hoping, desperately hoping, I wouldn't get called on. Because languages have never come easy for me. And even after all those years of studying in school, I felt so insecure. Then as my husband and I started exploring international travel recently, he convinced me that it was time to give language another try. So naturally, we found Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program. It's available on desktop or can be used as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone offers 25 languages and they have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on how well you're pronouncing your words. As my family continues to explore future travel, I know I'm going to take advantage of that because I want to feel as confident and respectful as possible. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the deck listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash deck. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash deck today. A few days after Natasha's body was found, a group of teenagers was arrested in Richland County for robbing a convenience store not far from the murder scene. One of the suspects who'd been caught was a young woman. She told police that she'd acted as a getaway driver in a string of robberies, and three guys she'd been associated with had been the ones to actually rob the stores. She told police that on Friday night, August 22nd, the three guys she'd been working with had borrowed her van, and the next day she overheard them talking about something they'd done to someone. It was a super vague statement, but the girl went on to tell police she also found some weird stuff in her van after the boys brought it back, like a comb and a part of a woman's weave. So police interviewed all four of the teen suspects separately since they were already in custody for the robberies. And they straight up asked them if they'd been involved in what happened to a woman on the side of the Interstate 26 on August 22nd. Detectives figured because Natasha's driver's license had been missing from her car, one possible motive for whoever killed her could have been robbery. And there were things missing from the car, but there was nothing in that car, as her sister Adrian said, that was worth killing her over. Police won't say on the record what specific items were missing from Natasha's car, but they confirmed that it wasn't anything of value. Two of the teenagers got lawyers right away, but the others started talking more with investigators. The female suspect, who said that she thought she heard the guys talking about something that could have been the murder, even agreed to take a polygraph. But during the questioning, she kept changing her story. At first, she said she thought her co-robbers killed Natasha, Then, she said she was just telling police what they wanted to hear so the robbery charges against her would be dropped and she could get out of jail. She ended up failing two polygraph tests, one where they questioned her about being at the scene of the murder, and another where they questioned what she knew about it based on what the male suspects had said. The fact that she failed both polygraphs didn't help the investigation at all. It just muddied the process. At that point, investigators were running short on any evidence connecting the teens to Natasha's killing. And the changing stories weren't helping things. On top of that, the gun that the group had been using during their gas station robberies was not the same type of gun that police knew had been used to shoot Natasha. You see, it was a semi-automatic pistol that had been used to kill Natasha. 
And according to Richland County, the gun that the teens had was not semi-automatic. So what police thought was going to be their big break was looking more and more like a reach. They didn't have enough to charge any of the teens with Natasha's murder, so they had to let him go. They still faced punishment for their robbery crimes, but over the next several years, Natasha's case went cold. Detectives continued to try and connect the teens or any of their associates to the crime, but nothing ever materialized. According to Dottie, sexual assault has actually risen to the top of the list as a more likely motive for Natasha's murder than just a random robbery. Police have their reasons for thinking this, but the details that back up that theory are completely off the record. So we just don't know what they found out since 2008 that makes them think that. What police did tell us, though, is that Natasha's body was too badly decomposed when it was found, so they were unable to get any sexual assault determination from a post-mortem exam. The results from what forensic swabs they did submit were inconclusive. In 2015, evidence technicians cut apart Natasha's car and did forensic tests to see if they could lift any skin cell tissues. They remained tight-lipped about what they found, but whatever it was, it didn't match the teen suspects nor anyone else whose DNA is in national or local databases. A male fingerprint on Natasha's car was also lifted and preserved, but it didn't match anyone. Not her fiancé, not anyone in her family, no one close to her. Investigators think that the fingerprint could belong to the killer, or it could belong to anyone else who had contact with the car prior to the murder. I mean, the car had not been washed leading up to the crime, so who knows how old the fingerprint was. Dottie says despite all the near misses and lack of corroborating evidence, Natasha's case is still solvable. She firmly believes that there is someone out there who has a small piece of information that could help solve it. The leads are there. It's just a matter of getting whoever in the community that knows about the case, that knows Natasha, that may have some information of who they think may have had last interaction with her to come forward and let us know. Detectives have gone as far as regularly searching national crime databases to try and find patterns for similar murders. But so far, they've never come across one that perfectly matches Natasha's. There are highway murders daily in the United States. But according to Richland County, there were none before, nor have there been any since, that were done in the same manner as Natasha's. Even the thought that Natasha could have died at the hands of a random violent predator scares Dottie. That's why she urges anyone listening or who learns about Natasha's case to contact her department if you have any information. If you even think you suspect something, call us. Let us run it down. Let us see if it works with what we already have. Whatever you can give to us, don't think that you're worrying us or that it's silly or anything else. Just simply think about Natasha's little boys are growing up without a mom. They won't have their mom there on their wedding. They won't have mom there for graduation from high school. And so many events that they have missed having their mother. And it would be nice to at least give them the opportunity to find out who did this to their mom. Natasha's sons are teenagers now. And even though they were so young when their mother was killed, her sister, Adrian, says that they still remember her. They remember her taking them to the beach and to Chuck E. Cheese. Adrian says that her family will see news stories about cold cases getting solved after 20 years thanks to DNA or a tip, and she's still holding out hope that one day that will be the case for them. 
thinking about her family and even what Natasha's life would be like today keeps detectives like Dottie motivated to find resolution and give Adrian and everyone else in Natasha's life closure. I'm sure she would be very successful. The kind of person you would want in your hospital room. So it's, it's just very, very frustrating. Adrian says that if she ever gets to confront her sister's killer, she only has one question. Why? Help the Warren family find some peace in the way of answers. Please, if you know anything about the 2008 murder of Natasha Warren, call the Richland County Sheriff's Department in Columbia, South Carolina at 803-576-3000. Or you can call South Carolina Crime Stoppers at 888-CRIME-SC. The Deck is an audio Chuck production with theme music by Ryan Lewis. To learn more about The Deck and our advocacy work, visit thedeckpodcast.com. So, what do you think, Chuck? Do you approve? Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus is central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. The living room is where you make some of life's most beautiful memories, but your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant high-performance furniture from Ashley Store is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley Store's high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, comfortable, and easy to clean for more mess and less stress. Shop the life-resistant high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley. For the love of home.